Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and greetings from tennis podcast towers where you find all three of us myself Catherine Whitaker David Law and Matt Roberts and Billie Jean K9 all in the same room for the first time in how long seven months is it really since that very weird Indian Wells in <laughs> October last year which feels like a lifetime ago yes and the, and yet I sort of associate us doing this more pre-pandemic. It feels like real old times, doesn't it? Except mm. Billie Jean's here. Billie Jean is here emphasising that it is post-pandemic because, of course, she was a, a cliché cliche lockdown puppy purchase. <laughs> um, yes, Google, uh, Google Photos reminded me that a year ago today, Matt, we were meeting up at a cottage on the south coast and you were meeting Billie Jean for the very first time. That's right. And we were seeing one another for the first time in a year. So, And I lost to your dad and your brother at tennis. You did. <laughs> You did. <laughs> I mean, imagine how was, I'd end up. Matt had a sort of existential tennis crisis that day, yeah. and we watched Roger Federer lose to Pablo Andujar. Yes, that's right. Mm. This feels like another life. Yeah, it does actually, doesn't gosh. it? Federer was playing, but was also losing to Pablo Andujar. Um, we come to you after three and a half days of play. Well, actually, no, it's, it started on Sunday, didn't it? So maybe four and a half days of play. Uh, from Rome, as we speak now, Maria Sakkari and Coco Goff are doing battle. Most of the quarterfinals have been set, I think, uh, in the women's draw, as it stands at the moment in out-of-date tennis news, or soon to be out-of-date tennis news. Uh, the quarterfinal lineup stands as thus. Iga Swiatek against Bianca Andreescu. Let's pause there. Yes. And now... Yes, please. Yeah. It'll be the first time that's happened. Now, I know most people listening to this will probably already know what's happened in it by the time they're listening. But can we preview it anyway? 
<laughs> yeah, we can. Because I feel like we're previewing the whole rivalry. We're not just previewing that match that will already have happened by the time you're listening to this, but we're previewing what that rivalry could look like. Who's had the more and exciting career And all of my dreams so potentially coming true. Oh, Shvontek. They've both won one slam, so... You have to look at what else they've done. Yeah. Which player has excited you more? Andrescu. Andrescu. <gasps> I love them both. No player really excites me like Andrescu at Check the moment. me out, David. It's Andrescu and Alcaraz <laughs> all the way. Um, yeah. That is not a slight on Shvontek. I would... I think I would pretty much say Andrescu over anyone. I think Shviontek's had the better career. I think, you know, she's world number one. She's on this incredible 25-match winning streak now. Um, But in terms of excitement, sheer excitement, as you put it, it has to be Andrescu. I mean, even just a few matches into her comeback here, I'm sort of getting really excited Mm. about her again. She's appointment viewing. Yeah, and also I think she seems to be in a much better place she said that the loss she took in madrid when she lost to jessica pagula said that you know in the past couple of years that would have really upset her and you know she'd have been thinking about it for days whereas this time it's just left her hungry and i think that's the that's what you want after a loss isn't it and she looked hungry today when she was playing petra martic she played really well in that match on a on an outside court that you just sort of thought why is andrescu playing here and I think of her as such a big stage player, and she's going to have that stage against Sviontek. And uh, she finished that that match over Martic before Sviontek had finished hers against Victoria Azarenka, which was a it was six four six one, wasn't it, or six 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 two? But absolute perfect example of scoreline not telling the story of the match. Seventy nine minute first set so which, that's which is longer than a lot of that's, matches yeah, Tech's that's eight this year. minutes on average per game wow. um in that first set extraordinary but um sorry just just to finish what i was saying so andrescu was asked about you know both potential opponents in in the next round and she was asked particularly about Tech and she's she basically said i want that rivalry i want to play her i want to know what my game feels like against Tech and i I love that. I get the sense that there's a group of them that feel like that. I think Osaka is pointed to wanting a rivalry, you know, but even amongst themselves, I love the fact that they, they've got a desire to face each other Mm. and for it to be a thing and for people to point to it and everybody to look forward to. And I think it is one of the reasons I'm a little bit surprised that, Ash Barty did retire when she did, because I thought she wanted that too. And I, I still think there's a chance she may, come back to be part of it in the future um, because of that desire. But, yeah, I, I, I think that they all have an equal want there. I, I think that that's what's getting them going. That's what gives them the buzz of being part of the sport, particularly after having had a couple of years of it. They've all made their marks. They've all mm. won Grand Slams. They've all... And they've all managed to make those marks sort of independently of one another. They've been dancing around one another, haven't they? And it's time to dance together. How how good is Andrescu on clay from what you've seen? Well, I didn't watch her against Martic today. I think Matt did. On paper, that looks to me like a really good win. Martic had won through qualifying, hadn't she? Yeah, I I think her game suits clay. 
Um, you know, she's got so much variety. She plays with angles. She hits drop shots. These are all things that we seem to talk about more than ever during the clay court season. And Andrescu can do them all. Crucially, she likes it. Yeah, I think I think she she sort of feels herself on clay. You know, I think she rates herself on clay. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Me. <laughs> Which you know, I think that's so important for Andrescu to play her best tennis. Um, I must say, though, you know, I watched some of the match between Sviontek and Azarenka as well, and it's kind of tough to imagine Sviontek being pushed more than that, and yet she still won 6-4, 6-1. You know, that was a real battle. How was she pushed? What what happened? Because I didn't see that. I mean, Azarenka was just bringing it from the start. All of Sviontek's service games in that first set were so long. She was just pressurizing her. Like I haven't seen Sviontek put under pressure, just constant hitting from Azarenka. And I think Sviontek was overplaying a bit. She was making more errors than you would usually associate with her. But, you know, Azarenka's a Grand Slam champion like Andrescu. You know, she she isn't just there to make up the numbers against Sviontek. And I think, you know, I'm not saying that people are doing that, but I'm sure when a player gets on a streak like this, there's a bit of a sense of they've kind of won the match before they've even stepped on the court and that wasn't the case against Azarenka at all but gosh I mean that's you know it's it's a dominant scoreline but it wasn't a dominant match for Sviontek she was really really pushed against Azarenka so I, I don't know how to see that because she still ended up winning pretty comfortably in that second set and yet it's hard to imagine her being pushed more it's she's in such a dominant space at the moment Sviontek just we talk about visualizing what that match looks like between Sviontek and Andrescu I'm struggling to visualize what Sviontek losing looks like at the moment it's just she's in such a rhythm mm. remember the, when there was that time when we'd never seen Andrescu yeah. lose a tennis match <laughs> like that <laughs> oh this is amazing I mean obviously we have seen Sviontek lose but it feels like a different well I was going to say diff- different era but it actually is a different era yeah. isn't it because you know it's pre-post Barty isn't it we will in future years look back at this as the the time after Ash Barty's shock retirement and it's a different Igor Svantec since there and then and that's so compelling as you know Matt put it beautifully on a, a recent previous pod didn't he that that she's just she hasn't just defaulted into the void she has stepped into and filled the void and she's done it with a particular tactic, it seems to me, because uh, thinking back two years to the period ahead of that French Open that she won, when when tennis returned and it was all hard courts in, in America and she was losing early in matches and then she suddenly discovered herself du- during that French Open. But in this post-Barty period, she has stopped using variety for variety's sake mm. that, and that's something that I'm very interested to see what happens with Andrescu and with Ons Jabeur and we saw it with Barty I think she stopped using variety for its own sake I mean I mean, I, if I can hit a couple of different types of shot I want to hit them just because I want to see what it's like and I think some of these pros even as good as they are are a bit like that and I, well, I, I think the the more diverse and varied your game is the longer it takes to figure it out i think your experimental phase is longer if you've got a really meat and potatoes game if you're big serve big forehand that doesn't take much figuring out does it if you've Mm. only got one way you can win 
you're probably going to be doing that from juniors right the way through your career, aren't you? If you've got far more at your disposal, you're going to play around with it before you really figure out what works. And there are examples, Denis Shapovalov, I'm looking at you, of players whose experimental phase feels like it's going on a touch too long. And well, Dimitrov, you might say, is still oh, in it. An experimental life. At, ti- at times, I feel like he's had periods where he's realized big serve, big forehand movement, that's what I've got. But it hasn't lasted. Seems to me that Svantec now has cracked it. She's decided this is what, this is the winning formula for me. And she just, and nobody can live with it at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really interesting to see what Andrescu tries. Not only in this match, but in the rivalry generally. Let's say they play a series of matches this year. Imagine if they played each other on grass. Wow. I'm I'm struggling to imagine it on clay, let alone grass. Yeah, wow. But but I think you're right. Shvantec's spoken about that, hasn't she? About work, simplifying, working on strengths. And her forehand, she hits way more winners, I think, off that wing this year. She's just looking to end rallies quickly and, and have the variety as a kind of backup, I suppose, or use mm. it in defence. But her, her plan A is, I'm imposing my game. I'm th- oh, sorry, you're staring at me, David, but I'm just thinking about Shuntek Andrescu on grass. <laughs> I, have, we, have we even seen Andrescu play on grass yet? Has she ever I played certainly on grass? haven't. She would have played on grass when they sang Happy Birthday yes. to her and after she'd lost. Yes. But that was uh, <laughs> that was Queen's week and yeah. everything. everything she doesn't. Queens I don't. Exist she needs to. She's deserving of a positive grass experience after that. Yes. I think. Um, so Shrontek Andrescu is our um, quarter final in the top section, uh, the top quarter of the women's draw. The next one, um, Sabalenka against Anisimova. So no long, t- no need to spend long. <laughs> Talking about what's going to happen there. That's my favourite weird one-sided head-to-head in tennis at the moment. Sabalenka does no, not know what to do when she sees Amanda Anisimova down the other end of the Four court. 4-0. Yeah. And I think three of those Three of those. Yeah, and this will be their third meeting in five weeks. And they haven't been close, have they? Why no. is that? Who was that aimed at? I think you're <laughs> the expert on this, Matt, because you watched it up close I, in Australia. I did, and that, to use a phrase from this podcast, took my breath away uh, because that I think that was the first time I'd ever seen an Anisimova play, certainly live. Backhand porn. It was the backhand. <laughs> it was the backhand. He's doing his backhand face. He's going a bit weird. <laughs> But I tell you, they are kind of opposites in a way because with Sabalenka, it's effortful, isn't it? You you see the effort going into each and every shot, and it's like she it's like she has to produce the power. Whereas with Anisimova, it's like it just somehow produces itself. Um, as David tries not to crush Billy Jean, <laughs> she's just sort of she's got her little chin on David's shoulder. She's just sort of giving me a, a bit of a cuddle mm, behind my she neck. She does that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those where it's just on one hand you look at the head to head and think, well, surely you know Sabalenka's a good enough player that she's going to figure it out. And she, but I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure she is. I'd, 
I, mean, I think Anisimova's th- winning that. I think the two weaknesses Anisimova probably has are... Movement. Movement and uh, sort of groups in with that, I suppose, defence. Mm. And maybe Sabalenka just doesn't make her hit enough shots to have to... Can't expose Defend, it. can't mm. expose that. And it just becomes a bit of a shot-making battle. And, I mean, the... The cleanness with which Anisimova hits the ball is virtually unmatched, isn't it? When when she's playing well, so and she can you probably then use the pace exactly. She she needed this run though, Sabalenka. I mean, just reaching the quarterfinals is uh, week. is a good week for her. She's had a rough old time of it. Losing first round in Madrid as defending champion, she mm. uh, she didn't she didn't need that. Um, so moving on to the bottom half of the women's draw, we've got uh, a quarterfinal that's yet to be set. It'll either be Goff or Sakari. They're currently on court against Putin Saver or Jabur. Now, given that we've done lots of Jabur chat, I'll just say, you know, great that she's backing up that Madrid win. Um, and we'll move right on to talking about Yulia Putin Saver, please. <laughs> this was the subject of much exchanges on WhatsApp last night because I missed all the tennis yesterday uh, but Matt selectively filled me in <laughs> with the most wondrous gifts. <laughs> She's been at her peak this week or one of her Des- peaks. Describe Matt. Well I love Putin Saver and her well her week started with an, in- an interview she gave to the WTA in which she described herself and this is one of the great quotes as a gangster on the court and an angel <laughs> off the court. <laughs> and then as if on cue she produces this match against Muguruza where she's losing you know quite easily she's lost the first set quite straightforwardly Muguruza you know who who needs wins and you're thinking okay is this going to be her time and then there's a point at the start of the second set where Muguruza plays a drop shot Putin Saver gets up to it easily and hits it straight at Muguruza tags her and it's not the only place she can put it in oh, the no. court and it's probably not the best shot available either no she's gone straight to she's, the throat she with that shot <laughs> but I mean I I do think that's fair game yeah I agree and I sort but of I think, it's, think fair it's fair game for Muguruza to be annoyed exactly. about it she yeah. didn't she was. think it was fair game <laughs> she stared at her and pointed at her and then there was just this <laughs> incredible tension for the rest of the match. The point. Oh, I've, never any, I've never seen anybody point at somebody before like that. And Muguruza then was in a position to win the match. She served for it. And then her game fell apart. You know, she really She's could barely no get the ball in the court. She? So She's had fragile. An awful the year. She's got a losing record this year. Mm. That is weird, isn't I, it? When you think of the her... The curse of doing well at the end of a season. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think she's probably had injuries, but even so, didn't expect this mm. at all. So then when Putin Saver ended up winning the match, as she did, she... Oh, I'm getting excited just thinking about this celebration. <laughs> He's doing his backhand face again. <laughs> yes, I need a new face for a brush of the shoulder, left-hand side, brush of the shoulder, right-hand side, as she did, followed by big smile and strut to the net. And um, cold, cold handshake. Very cold handshake. The most fleeting touch of hands that has ever happened. There was no clasping. It was just... It was a brush past. It was absolutely glorious. <laughs> uh, Putin Saver holding her own at the moment against Angebo and seemed to be out of date tennis news. So, um, 
Yep, you'll know by the time you listen to this whether Putin Saver marches on to ruffle further feathers. Uh, the bottom quarterfinal will be Jill Teichman, another one that's backed up a great week in mm. Madrid. Very impressive. And she'll face either Paola Bedosa or Daria Kazakina. The one bloody week I didn't pick Bedosa. She's been letting me down all season. And and you know who's picked her? I, no. I do. I just thought I spotted an opportunity. You're like one of those lurkers at the slot machines (laughs) in a casino, David. Yeah, watch you fill it all up, Mm. then empty Mm. it. That's the idea. I mean, she's only in the round of 16 at this stage, and you're a... I think of you as the appointed Dario Kazakina cheerleader. I mean, I'm not... So maybe... I I did notice that you, you seem to try to claim Alcaraz points the other day uh in terms of um credit did i when yeah. what do you mean well first of all you said he'd win the french open the other day on the podcast before i got a chance to remind everybody that i was the original <laughs> forecaster um but you asked me for a prediction <laughs> oh yeah that's um and, uh, <laughs> so hang on and you hang also on. compared your, just... rule, your rule is nobody's ever allowed to predict alcaraz to win things <laughs> now because you once predicted not, not, him to win a thing not without sort of which he hasn't won yet. Yeah. <laughs> Asterisk. By the way, David predicted it first. Right. Um, but then Do I you also... remember when he predicted that the Pliskova sisters would face one, <laughs> one another in Grand Slam finals? I, I do. <laughs> I've not you... seen Christina since. <laughs> she's, she's about eight months pregnant at the moment. She... So... <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, maybe not then. Um... Sorry, I didn't... Didn't want to have to bring that up, but oh, yeah, I did, I I did feel backed into a corner. Yeah, there. well, it's going to get worse because uh, um, <laughs> I, I was also reminded of um, of the quite awesome tweet about Oasis that you put out, which I really enjoyed. But then I thought, well, if you're you're watching Oasis in a pub in 1990, what's Matt? You mean when I saw Alcaraz in 2017? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're on nice thin ground. You're on thin ground, David, <laughs> pretending to be the original Alcaraz talent spotter yeah. when uh, Matt <laughs> Roberts is in the room. You were the ultimate early adopter, I think. Were you before or after Juan Carlos Ferrero? <laughs> Way before. He <laughs> were was, you? He was with Zverev. Wow. Actually, no, I think that was pre him with Zverev, even. That was magnificently awkward on court, wasn't it, with, with Zverev oh, it and uh, Ferrero? I actually had to look up. The quotes that Ferrero gave please at the remind, end of the, us. he said that he said that we have different views about what it is to be a professional. I mean, it's about as scathing as it gets, and, and it's about as it sums it up perfectly. I would say, in terms of what I've seen, difference-wise. I mean, okay, mm. you might look at the difference in talent between the two and physicality between the two, but from what I've seen so far, Alcaraz is a professional. Already, and I don't. Zverev is. I'm not saying he doesn't doesn't work hard. I think he does work hard, but he works hard when it suits him, um, and at his own pace and times and all the rest of it. And Ferrero well, couldn't couldn't be doing with the lateness. Could he? Mm. he just couldn't handle that. So that's the women's draw. Unless anyone has anything further to add, would we like a Daniel Collins moment? Yes. Yes. Off you go, Matt. We do need a Daniel <laughs> Collins moment. This was just. Mere minutes after the Putin saver moments last night, we then got Daniel Collins um, 
playing a really good match against Simona Halep to beat Halep late last night. And then I think got a little bit screwed over with the scheduling, to be honest, today because she was on quite early today and didn't didn't seem to be quite at it against Anisimova, but she played brilliantly against Halep. And this match included what is now one of my all-time favourite gifts of Collins smoking a backhand winner cross court and then blowing on her racket like it was a pistol that had just fired. And then in the background, the the camera got Simona Halep staring across the court back at Collins doing this. And it was just such a good energy. <laughs> it's just perfect, Danielle Collins. Mm, and massive win, Pierce. So, yeah, really good. Probably her best win since the Australian mm. Open. She Kind of another one who needed a win. And then trounced today by uh, Anissa Mova. Yeah, as I said, I, I really do think you know she didn't have long between those two matches. That, that's something I've noticed. She the last, irritable. The last twenty-four hours, that's felt like a theme with a number of these matches. Um, I, I, I seem to be watching. This time yesterday, I was watching Sitsipas Dimitrov in a seven-six third set, and then by the time we got back to the apartment today, Sitsipas had played again. Mm. You know, this morning, and I, I, it really is a tight turnaround for these players. Mm, it's relentless, isn't it? He uh, sits about, incidentally, moving on to the uh, men's draw. He backed up that uh, deciding set tiebreak win over Dimitrov with a win today over Karen Hatchinov. When was the last time we talked about him? Not. We haven't spoken about him an awful lot. Um, but uh, I did reference him yesterday when I realised he'd been paid three times as much as uh, certain, well, every female winner in the same mm. round, in the same tournament, mm. as I was quietly fuming about it. Mm. It's well, not a, quietly, actually. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a blight on my enjoyment of the tournament. Uh, it's it's mm. never bothered me this much, no. ever. And, and, I mean, it's been uh, the prize money differential at this tournament between men and women has been jarring for probably as long as I can remember but I think I'm trying to work out what it is that's bothered me so much I don't know whether it's I just can't believe everyone's never. not talking about no, it no I mean it, it, the, there was a, a point yesterday where I realised that um, Marcus Giron if he won his match to get to the quarterfinals would be getting three times the amount of money that the winner of Sviantek and Azarenka would be uh, getting and I think there's a number of things. One is that um, that they've rebranded the series of tournaments from on the WTA side from Premier Mandatories and Premier Five, which Rome would have been, which don't make any sense, never did really, and were always very confusing. So it was good that they did that. And they've called them WTA 1000, so in line with ATP 1000. So that's what we've got here at Rome in Rome. Players sharing the same courts, they're on the same ticket. There's nobody saying buy tickets for the men's tournament and the women's tournament. They're all in together, they're one ticket. And yet, women are getting a third of the amount of prize money for the same match rounds um, as the men are. And, and I just I just can't believe that that's the case still. Um, and that nobody's making anything of it. it nobody's making a fuss about this. And and I, as I was getting more and more worked up about it, I think what really brought it home to me was was driving down here from Solihull. I had two hours to kill, and I started to think about 
how I'm going to tell my daughter about this because she watches tennis with me a lot. She's 12 years old and occasionally she'll she'll see something that she thinks is unfair in terms of the scheduling, i.e. the, the women playing on the cent- not playing on the centre court as much as the men or something like that. Things that we always talk about, but she notices them without me bringing them up. How am I going to tell her that if she one day became a tennis player and her brother, who's a couple of years younger, became a tennis player... He would do it just to spite her, wouldn't he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if they played in the same tournament... He would be getting three times the amount of money that she would be getting just because she's a girl. How how can that be possible? Because the patriarchy. Yeah, I mean, when I put this out on Twitter and to whinge and I'm going to carry on doing it, whinging, I am not going to stop. But the, the replies, I mean, lots and lots of good, decent people who understand the point I'm making, and then some people who just reveal their colours. They really do. Um, And by the way, I did contact the WTA about it because I was curious as to to what they thought about it, the the fact that this was the situation. Are they not outraged like I am? Um, And uh, and I I asked about the the rebranding and the re- the realignment, really, of the WTA tour, to, and, and I was told the alignment of ATP and WTA in event. I don't even know this word. We've talked about it before. Nomenclature. 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 <laughs> or nomenclature. Okay, nomenclature. I'm sure, there's a better naming. Word. Maybe I should should do my own work naming. before reading that out. Uh, which now, which took place at the beginning of 2021, so effectively the renaming uh, that took place at the beginning of 2021 uh, from ATP from WTA Premier Fives and Mandatories to WTA 1000s was done to create consistency across professional tennis and simplicity for fans. Good. Uh, these revisions were not tied to specific ranking points or prize money. We will continue our efforts to close the prize money gap with the goal of achieving equal prize money at all of our combined events as we move forwards. I then asked, well, how is the prize money for an event like Rome determined? And I was told the WTA's annual prize money levels are set through the WTA's prize money formula. You know what that means. Um, as Rome is a non-mandatory event, it is not an equal prize money event, and its set level for 2022 is two million eight hundred twenty-eight thousand. Um, I mean, personally, I would like to hear uh, a bit more disappointment with the situation than that. I understand that they. You know, they've, they, you can't do all of your negotiating loudly and uh, abrasively. But but, uh, but I'd also like to hear the whole of tennis being disappointed with that situation. Yes, the WTA should be up in arms, and I hope that that is a dip- <laughs> yes, Billie Jean. Billie I Jean's hope up in that arms. That is it. a diplomatic public position, and behind the scenes, there are. There is serious talk going on. But it's not just the WTA that should be furious about this. Everybody should be furious about this. Male tennis players should be furious about this. Of course they're not. 
Um, I actually, I, I got to the point with your reply, the replies to your tweet about Marcus Giron, David. I got to the point where I, I actually managed to start finding them funny. It was that, it was that depressing. I feel like I should just do a, an Adam Buxton and uh, read a few of them out just so people really understand the this, this state of this. So David tweets, excellent tweet. Iga Svantec defeated Elena Gabriela Ruse 6-3, 6-love, to reach the last 16 in Rome. Less than two hours earlier, same court, Rafael Nadal defeated John Isner 6-3, 6-1, to reach the last 16 in Rome. Svantec earned €23,000, Nadal earned 72000 This is a situation throughout and it stinks. Follow-up tweet. Some replies here point to the popularity of Rafael Nadal and how many tickets he sells. Can't be sure how many tickets Marcus Giron sells, but if he wins tomorrow and reaches the quarters, he gets €136,000. Quarter finalists from Iga Svantec versus Viktor Azarenka, €46,000. We live on a planet where assorted replies to that include Horatio Nelson with more people buy tickets to watch men. Emma Raducanu is the only star currently in women's tennis. We also have 77th team leader, and it's no accident, is it, that these people are anonymous and not using their names on Twitter. People can want equal pay, but until the WTA generate the same revenue as the ATP, then it isn't happening. Would you expect all restaurants to pay their staff the same for similar jobs? Um, And I really could go on, but I'll just finish on Renier Dugrau, who says... ATP and WTA are different organisations. Surprise you're unaware of that. If you're in favour of equal play across the board, who is picking up the tab? Should ATP also pay for WTA because they have more money? Investigate before commenting. The internet, ladies, ladies and gentlemen. Um, how long ago I shouldn't was give it? The, I shouldn't give them the, the oxygen, should I? But, I mean, it's just... How long so, ago... It's embedded. It's so ingrained. Yeah, that's it, How long ago it? was it that Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal tweeted about how tennis should be merged? The ATP and WTA. Actually merge. I think that was, that was quite soon into the pandemic. That was... <laughs> I would say April 2020. This is when we were all tweeting weird stuff. So, But two years ago, yeah. The, yeah. the two most famous tennis players on the planet, male tennis players, were saying that the ATP and the WTA should merge. And here we are two years later in the same tournament, both playing best of three. You can don't have to have all the five versus three sets analogies and all the rest of it. They're were they earning three times the amount. How are they? How are they not embarrassed by mm. that? I wish mm. we were in Rome to to ask the questions. I'd love to ask but Roger we are Federer. On my sofa about, with, I'd love with, to, a, with a dog asleep on your shoulder. I'd love to ask Roger Federer. Mm. You've got twin girls and twin boys. Would you be happy if they played this tournament and the boys earned three times the amount? What do you think he would say? Do you think? Do you think he'd? Do you think he'd dodge it? I don't know. I don't. No, I don't. I don't think he would actually. I think he would. I think he's a decent enough human being that if he was actually put on the spot like that, that he would say, "Yeah, that's that's not right." And then would you say, "So, so what are you going to do about it? You're a very powerful voice in the sport. Is it just up to the women to sort it out?" Yeah, maybe I would. I don't know what I'd say. I don't know what I hope I would, but you know I don't Im- want to ima- sh- imaginary shame the guy press on the conference spot. exchanges with you know, I, I non-active tennis players. 
a thread. Um, have to get a media credential for the Labour Cup. And ask it to him. Ask him there. I'm sure he'd be delighted to get hard-hitting questions about equal prize money at his potential farewell <laughs> exhibition event. We'd make ourselves very popular indeed, wouldn't we? This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Do we have any anything further to add on the desperately depress- depressing topic of prize money? Or shall I get on to the players that will be receiving the the handsome sums in Rome this week? Do that. Okay, well, I mentioned Sitsipas, uh 7-6 in the third over Dimitrov for him in his, in his opener. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have been in a deciding set tie-break in the first place, served for it in the second set. Yeah, it, it was a very weird match. Um, a match that I feel like for an hour and 20 minutes I've seen several times before. Dimitrov looking an inferior version of the glorious single-handed, backhanded player with lots of style, athleticism and power. He's kind of the previous generation of what Tsitsipas is now. But then 
I mean, fair play to Dimitrov. He dug in. He really dug in. I think the crowd really got on his side because they wanted the comeback. They wanted the match. And there's an affection to him generally. He's been around a while. And and that re- really became a, a love-in between Dimitrov and the crowd yesterday. And it, I think it probably energized him. It gave him, it gave him some inspiration. But also, Tsitsipas, his performance was weird. He he lost all of his conviction. You know how convincing he is usually from the baseline. Trustworthy. You never feel like there's there's too much that's going to go wrong with that game on a clay court. And and he lost all faith and comfort and security from the baseline. And it's quite funny watching these matches on these pretty dusty clay courts when it's hot. And that's what it was yesterday. Um Sitsipas started to look the one who was dishevelled out there, and he ended up coming to the net virtually all the time. That was how he was winning points. Um, and fair play to him, he was two match points down, he saved them, and he turned it around and won. And who knows, that might ignite what we are talking about in two weeks' time, for all we know, as a, a really significant run at the French Open. But he was not convincing yesterday. He's having a very similar clay court season to what he had last year. You know, he won Monte Carlo both years. Okay, last year he did got to the final in Barcelona, didn't he? Whereas this year he got beaten by Alcaraz along the way. But then he matched his result in Madrid, and he's matched his result again in Rome. You know, what did he, I can't remember what he did in Rome last year. He lost to Djokovic, I think, in right. Rome in a, in a match that I think was played over a couple of days. It was a really good match, um, but. And yet I don't feel as convinced by him this year as I did last year. And I, I don't know why that is. Maybe maybe it's just because of Alcaraz. And mm. I'm sort of seeing it through that lens a bit. Whereas, you know, last year he was very clearly the third best outside of Nadal and Djokovic. And now the picture's not quite that clear for him because of Alcaraz. And he's having these little wobbles in matches, isn't he? He had a, he had a minor one today where... He was playing Hatchinov and he was level in the first set. His game just disappeared and he lost that set. Does he play? Is he playing too much? Is that part of the problem? I mean, you've just reeled them off. Monte Carlo, Barcelona, Madrid, Rome. He's playing everything. Yeah, I don't know if that's too much, though. I mean, that's those, pretty those standard. Are the, that's, that's a pretty standard clay court schedule. And it's not like he's reaching the final of all of these and playing, you know... I think generally he plays every, too much. Every yeah, I, I'm not sure that's the problem right now. But over the course of a 12 month or 11 month season, mm. I'm just I wondering. Think he does you know, we're already looking at Alcaraz making. I know he won the tournament, but he made a, a very. I, th- I know he cited an injury, but that felt to me like a strategic move. Yeah, and, and I think that. if Sitsipas had run, won Madrid, he might have pulled out of Rome. I can't ever remember him pulling out of anything. But it's different when you end. When you end on a win, isn't it? Mm. Sitsipas ended on a on a really dodgy loss to Zverev, really really disappointing performance. You know, undoubtedly he needs more matches. On top of that, he needs to play himself into some more form. And I can't can't really think of any of those events you've listed that he shouldn't have played. Mm. Um, but I do I do think on a wider point, he probably plays too much. Um, I think he needs to sort out his coaching situation. I do. I... More Thomas Enquist? Less dad. I don't think the issue is Thomas Enquist or what he's doing or not doing. I think it's impossible for anything, to, anybody to have an impact 
while his dad is still so involved. And obviously that's incredibly hard and really it should be incumbent upon the parent to, to step aside rather than expecting the the child to to make that decision. Um, but I, I do think it would be the best thing for his tennis. Um, but look, he's through to the quarterfinals. He plays, he plays Yannick Sinner, um, who's having a good week. If if I learn anything from the uh, ATP finals in Turin, it's that Yannick Sinner is different guy in front of the mm. Spanish crowd, uh, Italian crowd rather, a far more compelling and animated tennis player. He, he did manage to get himself booed yesterday. Did he? <laughs> what happened? After he'd beaten Fanini, he wrote uh, Forza Milan on Ooh. on the camera and it was flashed <laughs> up on the screen <laughs> that's a stitch up from the from mm. the from the and, organizers and I, I think he i think he sort of apologized to fanini as well because it was i'm pretty sure fanini isn't a milan fan it was almost like he was rubbing it in uh, oh. but uh his, his his tennis has been pretty good i think and i think he, i think um... sinner sits a pass will be a great match they've played before in rome and i think it'll be interesting how Sitsipas copes if the crowd is really mm. against him, which could get under his skin, couldn't it? it to be. Um, Sinner needed this week. I think he's been he's been patchy, hasn't he? Um, you know, sacking his whole team. I still think, you know, was a question mark thing thing to do. I'm Surprising. still sort of eyes emoji on on how that pans out for him. He, um, he doesn't seem to have had many bad losses. This season, but he's not had he any lost, massive wins. Either. He lost sort of one and two to Felix Auger oh, yeah, last true. week. That was bad. Um, but again, it's always, you know, it's not like he's losing no. to players he you know definitely should be beating. No, true. Um, but he's he's also had a lot of wins from match point down, like a lot, four or five times yes. he's won this season from match point down, which. You know, suggests he's on the edge a bit. You know, if, if he loses two or three of those matches, we're maybe talking about a really patchy season for him. Um, the winner of that Sinner sit to pass match faces the winner of the uh, bottom quarter final between Christian Garin and Alexander Zverev. Zverev backing up the week in Madrid. Um, Garin, I think, I'm not sure how current this stat is, but. At some point very recently, Christian Garin was outside the world's top 100 in the race. He's been having a terrible time, has Christian Garin. Yes, like Casper Ruud was, but that's not gone brilliantly for him. Um, so, yeah, it's very over at the bottom there of the draw. Um, I've not seen any of his tennis this week. Beat Baez, uh, beat Dominor. Um, that's a good quarter-final draw for him, isn't it? Could have a rematch with Sitsipas in the semi-finals. Casper um, Ruud, having just slagged off his clay court season, <laughs> um, is into a quarter-final. Hooray, Hooray. for Casper Ruud. Um, it hasn't been a great clay court season. We've barely talked about him, have we? He's been not been in the conversation. Pretty underwhelming and disappointing. Yeah. I, I would imagine he would feel that because he he came into this clay season with really high hopes. I mean, he's the guy who won three clay court tournaments in a row last summer, didn't he? And and then he's had a, a good end to the year, and he's had, he's looked the business at points earlier on this year. But yeah, he he needs to get going, and this could be the week. Though this is the beauty of this clay court season to me is that it's long enough that you can have a rough start, and then one good week can flick it for you 
And um, look, the raw materials are there, aren't they, with his game, I, I think, anyway. I think before this week he'd won more matches in, on his Miami run than he'd won in the whole of the clay court season so far. He's probably he's probably overtaken that now with his couple of wins here. But he'd been having losses that you would never have expected from him. You know, it's not like he's been losing to Alcaraz or Nadal or Djokovic. He's been losing to players outside the top 20 that he would expect to beat. Um, yeah, curious one. He faces the winner of the match that we are currently watching between Rafael Nadal and Denis Shapovalov, which I always find, what's the word? Not sure. But obviously, Shapovalov, Nadal, it was the big breakthrough for Shapovalov, wasn't it? And the lovely photos of Shapovalov as a kid being a being a mascot for, for Rafael Nadal and then when you growing saw up that, a few years later to Catherine, beat him. you were... You were at Andrescu levels of excitement over oh, yeah. Denis Shapovalov. I'm all about the young Canadians, apparently. <laughs> I mean, the, the he was so exciting. Uh, yeah, I to was you, all in. He? I was all. I, in. I think you were there, weren't you? I was there in t- t- the year before. Y- I was there in Toronto uh, the the previous year. Yes, I was. I was there. Yeah, and I'd been there in Toronto the previous year when he beat Nick Kyrgios, and that was that was mega. Mm. Um, he hasn't really done what we thought he would do back then. He he's had a good a good career. I mean, it's he's done some good things and and he's 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 around every week, winning most of the matches you, you expect him to, but rarely winning the ones that would take him to another level. Yeah, he's just felt static for me for for a long time. It's not that he hasn't won a Grand Slam yet necessarily if he was where Zverev is or where Sitsipas is that would that would you know I wouldn't consider that you know a disappointment on my expectations but he's not he's not I don't think he's anywhere close to that really he might have the odd result that matches them or exceeds them you know Australian Open this year of course but I don't feel like big picture he's moved any closer to winning a slam or reaching a final. Um, and he, he, feel, he feels like he's been the same player for a really, really long time. I don't, I'd have to go back and watch the footage on YouTube, but right now I couldn't hand on heart say he's a better player than when he beat Nadal in, in Montreal. I honestly couldn't. That's what I always say. I may sound like a broken record on this, but... You know, you put Medvedev 2017 up against current day Medvedev and current day Medvedev wins hands down every time. Same with Zverev, same with Rublev even. I'm not convinced about Shapovalov that he would necessarily beat that first version of him that we saw come through. He is he is more consistent generally because his ranking's gone up. But, but he's also got scar tissue that he didn't time. have then. He was, he was fearless then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure that what he's lost in the fearlessness he's gained in tennis now. And these meltdowns, and, mm. and the, I mean, he doesn't. He seems I mean, to, the last one, it was quite enjoyable. It was enjoyable. It was but, very enjoyable. But, he, but he's, <laughs> he sometimes seems less mature now than he did mm. then. Yeah. When, when he and, was, that, and I think that's the scar tissue. I think it's the losses. I think it's you know, maybe a sense of panic that it, he's not quite where he thought he might be. Isn't Nadal Nadal yet? By the way. Based on what I know, we we saw him win 
yesterday, 6461, or was it the day before? I can't remember who it was against now. Against John Isner. John Isner, And yeah. as soon as that match ended, he turned to his coach and said, Pista, Pista, and asked them to book a practice court. Oh, really? Because he didn't feel like he'd hit enough shots, I suppose, against Isner. I think, you know, the rally length was really short. That is a damning it, indictment. Literally, he was he was walking Dennis. to the net to shake Isner's hand <laughs> while he put the request in. And then I was watching, um, I think, Dumanor, Tommy Paul on one of the outside courts, and it was a commentaryless feed. And I, I was watching this match, and I could hear Nadal grunting. And I thought, have I got Nadal <laughs> on a different tab still playing his match against Isner? I was really confused for a moment. Then I realised, oh, no, that's Nadal practising. He's literally gone straight out to practice. So I think he's he's he still needs to find his top level. I don't think he's properly Nadal yet. Um, but, you know, he would probably say, how much, how much information can you gain playing Isner? Because... It's such a, okay, you could throw a Pelker in, but it's such a one-off match, you know. He's got to do certain things well, but not repeated ground strokes from the baseline. I'm getting I'm getting flashbacks, by the way, from watching Nadal Shapovalov because they played in Rome last year. It was an amazing match. Nadal yeah. won it 7-6 in the third, mm. I think. And I, I watched that match on my phone in the car outside because our our house was being viewed by potential buyers and it was at the time where you weren't you know more than two people weren't allowed in the house at any one time and I said yeah but I really want to watch Shapovalov uh, Nadal can I just stay in my room and they were like, I was like no you have to leave so I watched it in the car outside that's, that's a commitment that's commitment that's the isn't commitment it? that you get from Matt and, Roberts and ladies and they gentlemen they ended up being the people that bought our house oh it was all worth it mm. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Um, Novak Djokovic has looked very good yeah, in rain this he, week, he, I think. He's looked convincing mm. so far and happy out there. He loves it, doesn't he? He loves it in Rome. He's loved there. Although I have to say, he got a very warm reception every match he played in Madrid last week. But they, you know, it's, it's different level in Rome, isn't it? He, um, I saw Ben Rothenberg reporting uh, today that he's been doing all of his press conferences in Italian. Obviously, English as well, but he starts in Italian with the local press. I think that goes a long way mm, in, yeah. in Italy to, to 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 winning them over. And I think it's genuine, you know. He's, he's a... What's a Francophile but an Italian? But an it, it, Italophile doesn't sound right, does it? Any... No point in looking at any, me, really, is it? Any raison Italophile? Anyway... One of them. I think he genuinely does have a lot of love for Rome. And I think he's a fitness trainer and lives in Rome. Or anyway, you know, it's a, it's a love affair, and it and it shows because you know, Djokovic fans don't, or a certain breed of Djokovic fan doesn't like to admit it, but he wants to be loved, doesn't he? And that's okay. We all want to be loved. I I would love a load of Italians cheering for me. Great. <laughs> it, it's quite an interesting thought experiment to imagine. Djokovic getting Rome levels of love for his whole career everywhere, you know, because it is okay. It's not the, it's not the tournament he's won the most, but it is his most consistent tournament, isn't it? He he never loses early in Rome. He's I think he's reached the quarterfinals pretty much every year since he first played it in about two thousand and seven. 
he he likes it, you know, and as as well as he's done in his career when the crowd has been against him, and you know we've we've talked a lot about sometimes it feels like he's used that, but just kind of imagine if he hadn't had to have all of that on him as well, and he'd just been riding yeah, a wave he's, of crowd he's support. Used a lot of that for his wins. I think that, he that's has brought but, out the defiance. In but he him. might it's not. The, it's the, he might not have needed to do all that no. if if it. Or all maybe been it's made him better. Maybe. Maybe. We'll never know. Mm. But um, he, he has looked good this week. He really mm. has. Auger Karatsev and Wawrinka, he's beaten. Auger Eliassime next uh, for him. I'm, I'm interested because we've seen the best and worst of Auger Eliassime over the last couple of weeks. He was fabulous against Yannick Sinner last week and he was just appalling against Alexander Zverev. David, David wants those two hours of his life back. I was Excruciating. S- yeah, I... <laughs> I think because I was so looking forward to it, and it was just a terrible tennis match. Um, and uh, yeah, what what more is there to say? But look, he's had some wins this week, as Ojalia seems. So I feel like he's still tracking in the right direction. Because even though maybe the shots might have malfunctioned that night, I don't think it's going to stop him going for them tomorrow. Mm. Mm. Well, he has to, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and- I'm always interested, often confused. By Felix Auger-Eliassime mm. mm. at the moment. I really thought with the title in Australia, I really, th- you know, I didn't think, oh, he's going to win everything and win all the slams and be world number one. But I really thought yeah, it would start to be a sort of smooth upward trajectory. And it's been, it's not been a disaster, but it's been far bumpier than I thought it would be since, since then. Um, so I still don't, understand him as a tennis player necessarily. Billie Jean has just shifted to put more of her <laughs> self on David. It's lovely. <laughs> She's lovely. Um, just just a word for Stan Wawrinka. His, yes, go his... for it. And maybe Dominic Team as well in the same breath. Oh. oh. <laughs> that, that was like a sadder word. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, God. I thought Dominic Team was a little bit closer. It was yeah. Fanini, wasn't it? Yeah. But I still... He still just looks a shadow of the player. And I thought I thought Murray's analysis from their match in Rome was... Re- uh, from their match in Madrid was really interesting about... It seems to be the spin on the forehand that Team's not getting. So that if you if you hit the ball low to him, he's not really able to generate any pace and I think Fanini did that to him as well and seems to maybe it's a case of trusting the wrist again they had Laura Robson in commentary and she was talking a lot yeah, about that and, and the guys last week in Madrid were talking about that I think only time will tell mm. but they were saying look at this early stage of the comeback it could very well be a mental thing Yeah, and they just he just has to build up the trust in it but they did have uh, I think they had Hawkeye data to demonstrate how much less spin he's generating on the forehand um, and yeah, I mean, the, the Dominic's team, Dominic team's game was so optimized, wasn't it? It was, I don't know, just so physically optimized that a drop off of a few yeah. percent just feels. If you take huge, if you take any kind of explosivity or explosiveness, I'm not sure what the word is. Explosiveness, I think, out of team. He's just so reduced as a tennis player. 
Oh, um, okay. Say happier words about Stan Wawrinka. <laughs> well, I mean, genuinely nice to see him playing tennis. You know, rather than tweeting about NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the nicest thing we can find to well, say? I'll co-sign a backhanded that compliment about <laughs> NFTs. Massive compliments, as far as I'm concerned. But he's been great. I think he's he's been one of the best stories of the first few days of this tournament. Like he was never going to win it, but it was just nice to see him. Honestly, playing quite well. I thought he played really well to come back against Riley Apelka. Um, you know, the backhand is still the backhand, and he was getting a lot of support as well. I think there's you know people. People know that he's been through a lot of injury trouble recently and he's an exciting player and people have got a lot of connections to Wawrinka because they've seen him be astonishingly good and they, they have that image in their mind, I suppose. So great that he's back and look, he, he said himself, I'm not ready to play Novak Djokovic. They ran that as the uh, is the build up as, as the hype interview beforehand. <laughs> Turns out his analysis was spot on. It was very Monfils before playing Djokovic, wasn't it? Yes. I'm just not as good a tennis player as he is. <laughs> Great, thanks, thanks for being the hype man on that one. Um, would anybody like to change? I can't remember what we all predicted, but is anybody's feelings about who's going to win this thing? All things men's and women's uh, changed since we last podcasted four days ago. Well, I picked Sitsapas in the newsletter. I'd have gone for Djokovic if Djokovic was available. I think Djokovic will win the tournament. I would. You see what he's done there, I David. Would back you, I would back yeah. you there. Yeah, he just, just sort of. He's hedged. Yeah, it's a backup. Um, and I, and <laughs> I would go with Fiontek. I'm sticking with Badosa. I'm comfortable. Mm. Particularly with Billie Jean on my neck. <laughs> <laughs> Everything feels achievable with Billie Jean on your neck. Um, what, one other, very quickly, because this is a sort of not quite news item. Uh, very well might be a news item the next time uh, we pod um, on Sunday or Monday uh, to wrap up Rome. Uh, but news leaked yesterday that the ATP... Uh, would soon be announcing that they would be in response to Wimbledon banning Russian and Belarusian uh, tennis players from competing at Wimbledon and the AT uh, and the LTA following suit and uh, banning them from competing at all um, UK events. Uh, the news leaked yesterday that the ATP would soon be announcing that they will be withdrawing ranking points from Wimbledon and other summer UK events. And the understanding is, and again, totally unconfirmed at this stage, that the WTA would be making that same move and they would be hashtag Tennis United on this. Um, obviously, we'll react and dissect this more fully as and when it becomes reality. Um, it's not hugely surprising to me. I don't think it's felt you know, it was, it was very clear from the reaction after Wimbledon made their announcement that that the ATP and WTA weren't messing around on um, this. What Steve Simon said to you here on the podcast, yeah. because he, he was clear that we have to do something strong because we feel strongly about it. Mm. Um, and there's not that much available to them to be strong with. I mean, even this, I mean, does it harm Wimbledon? 
it harms low-ranked players, doesn't it? I don't think it will... But they it's don't not want to be punishing the players. Well, no. That's the thing. It almost, to me, feels like it's it's hurting players, not Wimbledon. I, I what think other lever can they pull? I think it's more symbolic. It's symbolic, really. isn't it? I think it, they have to make a stand. And what can they take away? They can take away ranking points. And effectively, it's in some quarters, call Wimbledon an exhibition as a result of taking away sanction, sanctioned ranking points. Um, it's, Would I think, you go that far? The, the Olympics isn't look, an exhibition. I, I, don't, I don't view it like that. I mean, I just Wimbledon is Wimbledon. It won't mm. Make, mm. To me, it will make no difference. Mm. To me personally, in terms of the, the importance with which I regard the, the Wimbledon victory, for instance, it makes no difference to me. But I think it's, it's significant in terms of the relationship between the two. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a heck of a standoff this really and um and i think it could be more damaging to the lta in terms of the player representation they get at those events that they have also banned mm. russian and belarusian players i mean certainly queens w- was not going to get medvedev and rublev anyway they'd already signed up to play in Halle, um as had most most of the top players this year there are some some notable Players that are due to play Queens that have already been announced. Berrettini, Alcaraz have already been announced. But maybe... Murray. Um, yes, there is a report in the Daily Mail today that maybe Murray might even reconsider that based on those ranking points. I, well, I'd be surprised He does that. need ranking points, Personally, doesn't he, but, at the moment? You know, he, does, he wants to stop having to ask for a wild card. It certainly would damage them in terms of mm. picking up players that see Wimbledon as a rank... see Queens and... Those other tournaments in Great Britain as ranking points opportunities if there are those available elsewhere. Mm. And I'm not, sh- as you said, I'm not sure what other options were available to them. I-, I did wonder, and maybe they will, come up with some sort of ranking point freeze or something from last year so that players' so points it, it, are kept e- equally, on. Yeah. But I mean that's that's all quite complicated. But mm. Mm, it does feel like it's hurting the British sort of summer warm-up grass court tournaments and the players, to be honest, more than mm. Wimbledon because, as you said, still got the prestige, it's still got the prize money, it's still Wimbledon. Mm. Well, look, we'll we'll get into it more as and when uh, it becomes reality. We think that is likely to be before we next record a podcast, but but who knows? I'm sure there are high-level discussions behind the scenes, shall we say. Uh, we'll be recording again on Monday morning, I think, so obviously we'll be covering uh, the two Rome finals and the doubles finals as well. We'll be looking ahead to Roland Garros, to Daniil Medvedev's comeback in uh, Geneva next week. There's still the possibility... Uh, that Daniel Medvedev will be number one on Monday. Find out on the next tennis <laughs> podcast. We'll let you know. Uh, and of course, all three of us will be travelling to Paris on the Eurostar on Thursday. Billie Jean, close your ears. You're not. You're not involved in this plan as much as much as I would love you to be. You're not invited. No, I'll be cheating on <laughs> cheating on you with Coco for the fortnight. Um, and yeah, we'll be bringing you non-stop. Podcasts from uh, Tennis Podcast Towers Francais. And we can't wait for it. We really can't. Um, We have our mascots. We have Darwin Carter 
and Gerald the cat, who is dearly missed, and our thoughts are with uh, Gerald's family. Right, Darwin. I, we were having a moment for Gerald there, David. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Gerald. <laughs> Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our executive producers, uh, Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner. They are top blokes. And we have our weekly mascot. Two of them. Oh, my no. goodness. Hang on a second. Hang on. We have Ted, who was our mascot on Monday, of course. We love Ted. Um, we now have Estrella. Indeed. Estrella's amazing. Is Estrella named after the beer? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the beer's named after Australia. Australia is an English painter. Oh, does it? Mm. So, right, okay, right, got you. Um, Australia is an English pointer, a rescue dog from Spain. She gets called Stray for short by owner Carol. Carol says that Australia is a loving, cuddly and calm soul, except when she sees wild birds. Well, that's relatable. Um, oh... Well, Australia's lovely. I'm looking at I'm looking at side by side pictures of Ted and Australia uh, from our newsletter, and they're very they're very different they're very animals. Different. Very very different animals, but much love, much love for both. Got to say, Ted looks happier about being a mascot, <laughs> but there is a there's definitely a regal dignity to Australia. Um, so thank you very much, Carol, and thank you to uh, Australia for being our mascot. We have shout outs, Matt. Yes, we do. We have Pamela Kennedy in Edinburgh. Oh, lovely Edinburgh. Right, Pamela. Hello, Pamela. I once uh, covered a Champions Tour event in Edinburgh where they um, made a roof for the court that wasn't big enough. Wasn't fit, and it fit for purpose. <laughs> it came in from the sides and drenched the court. It was an absolute catastrophe. <laughs> But we love Edinburgh otherwise, Pamela. Yeah, great city. We also have Jennifer Whelan from Aberdeenshire. Hi, Jennifer. Hello, Jennifer. And is this a Scottish-themed shout-out episode? Just the way they've fallen. Just the way they've fallen. Hello, Jennifer. Um, Jennifer, you've made me think briefly of Jennifer Brady mm. and the fact that where is Jennifer Brady? Jen. Jen Brady. Jen, Jenny. Jennifer. Yeah, what happened to her? Injured. Yeah, tough times. Anyway, thank you, Jennifer, for your support. And we have Avrilina Madea. I don't know if that's pronouncing it properly, from Cyprus. That's Ooh. like Avril Levine's name, sort of all the amalgamated. It's brilliant, isn't it? Avrilina. Av- Avrilina. That's wonderful. We've never had a tennis player called Avrilina, have we? No, Not no. I've, I've never come across that name. I've been to no. Cyprus. I like That's Cyprus. a wonderful name. Avrilina says the pod has turned her from a casual tennis fan into a diehard. Oh, I feel very nice? proud. That's great. Very oh, touched. Avrilina, thank you ever so much for your support and yeah. hello. If you would like a shout out, you can get a shout out. Become a friend of the tennis podcast. Uh, link is in our show notes. That will also get you our bonus episodes uh, available only to friends of the pod. And next week, that means two, not one, folks, but two 
episodes of Roland Garros relived. When will we do the unveil? We've already done it, Catherine. (laughs) Yeah. In our newsletter, but now we get to do it on the podcast. I don't get the newsletter because there's a glitch. (laughs) (laughs) It only applies to me, folks. Everybody else is getting it. I'm on the mailing list, but it doesn't arrive. For your benefit, Catherine. Uh, It's about Mats Philander in 1982 when he was... Oh, a 17-year-old following in the footsteps of a very famous compatriot who dominated the French Open for several years. Where does that sound familiar? I feel like I'm talking to a different person than I was 30 <laughs> seconds ago. Anyway, what's the other one, David? Tell, tell the listeners. The Amelie Moresmo story. The Amelie Moresmo story. Uh, so those two episodes will be recorded and uploaded and brought to Friends of the Tennis Podcast next week. There'll also be a Roland Garros review show recorded after the badness is all done and dusted. Looking back on the tournament as a whole, that'll be available for Friends of the Pod in, well, June. two and a half weeks' time. No, three and a half weeks' time. Yeah. In a short amount of time. So become a friend of the pod, in short, and we will speak to you on Monday. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.